A couple years ago, my family and I had the privilege to go to uh, Northern California and visit some friends, and we got to go to uh, visit some, visit like their people. Got to go to the Redwoods, tour the Redwoods, see the Redwoods. I don't know how you say that. We hung out with the Redwoods, and um, mind-blowing experience. If you've never been there, just, it's insane. I mean, like just monstrously huge trees. And we found this thing, and our friend who was there was telling us about this, this thing that happens within redwood trees. Um, I have a picture of it. It's called uh, a fairy ring. Anybody have heard of this before? It's this thing that happens when these trees grow. So if you can't tell, that's a tree in the middle that is probably 15, 18 feet across. I mean, they're just, they're enormous. 400 feet straight up. I mean, just like, they're just insane. And then all these other trees are growing around it in a circle. And it's called a fairy ring. If you can picture fairies dancing around a fire or something, that's a, that's a little of what's, what's happening in this image. But what happens with these redwoods is and the original tree will grow up in the middle. And then these fairy trees will pop up along the outside, coming up from the roots often of the other tree or from seeds that drop and take years to germinate. And then a lot of times what happens is that, that original tree in the middle will eventually die out, either from fire or it will burn. I mean, it will you know, fall down at some point because of a lightning strike or something. And the other ones will keep growing. But it's this fascinating thing that, that these ones on the outside are supported by this life of the one in the middle, and then they all sort of keep each other up because, you know, if trees, if there's just one by itself, it'll blow over in the wind. But when trees are bunched together, they have this ability to sort of stay upright together. It's fascinating, like a little scientific thing that we learned while we were out there. Well, today, what I want to talk about is how sort of we as the church, as the new family of God, are sort of like this ring that grows up around the middle of the gospel, that, that Jesus is, is the one in the middle. The gospel is this thing in the middle that, that gives us life, and we come up around and support one another, and our life comes out of that middle, right? And together, we do life as a community and build one another up. That, that as a new family in God, this, this new ethos that we take on as individuals is also something that gets lived out in community, and we are meant to be fueled by the gospel together, building one another up and staying united around the core of, of Jesus, simply Jesus, the core of the gospel. The family of God that we are as Hope Nazareth and as a larger in Christendom as a whole, the family of God is, is meant to be a people that together are pursuing holiness and pursuing unity. Last week in talking about this new ethos as individuals, it's this, it is this idea of pursuing, putting on new clothing, putting on the things of Christ and righteousness of Christ and looking more and more like him. And, and so you, you, you can put the word holiness on that, that we are a set-apart people living differently as individuals, but also we have this unity as a community, that we are meant to be together and have these rhythms of a family life together that help us grow closer to Jesus that help us look more and more like Jesus, that helps us put on the clothing of Christ and become, you know, renewed people. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, turn to Colossians 3. We're going to be right back where we were last week. 
I'm going to put these verses up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bibles. I know, listen, I know that you can come here and put it on the screen. I know that you can have it on your phones. I love having, listen, I'm, I'm not about to go legalistic on you saying you've got to have your own copy of the Scriptures, but I love having a physical copy of the Scriptures. I start to become familiar with it. I write in my Bible. Some people, maybe they're opposed to that. I like underline things. I remind myself of things. And so like there is something special to me about having a tangible, but I also don't like Kindles and I want real books. And anyway. But that's just me, but just, that's my encouragement for writing in your Bible. Okay, all right. So Colossians 3, Paul says this. We Remember, we talked about this last week. He says, so if you have been raised with Christ, which is where we've come from through this whole series, through the resurrection, we are new people. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, which is where I talked about last week, like setting our affections on God, remembering what he has done for us, remembering where we are seated with Jesus. It starts to change our behaviors, right? Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." Therefore, like in light of that, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, meaning God's going to bring justice and make everything right. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away, like take off that clothing, all the following uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, right? This is this clothing that we are now putting on intentionally in Jesus. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, Again, therefore, right? In light of that, taking off the old clothing, he says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, and how much has he forgiven us? A whole lot. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another. We'll pause right here. There's a real lack of grammar in original Greek. I tend to think that there's actually meant to be a comma there, but that's after one another. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching one another, admonishing one another, comma, through the Psalms. Like, doesn't really matter. Point's the same, but for me, that's how I read it. All right? Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, 
in word or in deed, do everything in the name or for the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, you know, we said it in the James series that genuine faith does the work of God, that there's this, like, when you are genuinely following Jesus as a disciple, it starts to produce behavior, that you believe your identity in Jesus, behavior starts to flow out of us, that he is energizing, not to, not to earn anything from Jesus, not to earn anything from the Father, but because of what the Father has done, we start to willingly change our behaviors and put on this other clothing. And we said that through this series, as we are adopted and come into this family of God, that there's a leaving of the family of origin that starts to happen. That there are things of our family of origin that are not of God, that are not of the kingdom. And we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to put boundaries around this, or I'm going to choose something different, and I'm going to cleave to this family of God. I'm going to, it's like a marriage analogy that Jesus uses. I'm going to leave this family and cleave to this one. And what Paul is arguing for here, and you see him say it in, in a bunch of his letters, is that we are called to be a people of holiness, a set-apartness, a, a looking more and more like Jesusness. right? That, that we put on this clothing, we look more and more like him, and that we are to be a people of unity, deep love for one another, doing life together, building one another up like that fairy ring around the original redwood tree, right? like doing this life together a people of holiness and unity. Listen, it's easy, believe it or not, to be a holy people and not really care about unity. It's easy to say, okay, we're holy, we have figured it out, there's all the heretics out there. There's no unity, right? It's just like, we know how to be perfect, I know how to be perfect, you're not. It's easy to do that, make your set of rules and just say we're going to keep to them. That's why there's lots of denominations. That's why there's lots of cults, right? Because it's like, I know exactly how to be holy, forget everybody else, right? So it's holiness without unity. Or in our world, I think it's, it's kind of easy to have unity when there's no holiness. When there's no rules, when it's like, whatever, we're just going to love and it's all going to be good and we're not going to have any standards, it's like, well, okay, that's like our world, right? That anything goes, like, Logically, to me, like, it just doesn't work. Look around. Still violence, still hatred, still greed. But we're like, no, we're just going to have, we're going to have unity, but without the holiness and the personal accountability. It's like, well, that doesn't make sense either. What Paul is saying, and we're talking about here as a family of God, is we have unity and holiness together. That that's what it means to be a new people of God, to put on this new ethos, to be a new people rather than wearing that old clothing. And so, a couple things we want to talk about here today that Paul is going after in this, this chapter. The first thing is that as a people of God, as a family of God, we're supposed to have this gospel peace in our hearts. That, that it's, it's, it, there's this, this foundational peace in our hearts that's supposed to rule our hearts and guide the way that we interact with, with one another. Colossians 3.12, again, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another, meaning you're going to have problems with one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were called 
right? To which we're also called in one body, rule your hearts. Put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So he's saying, as a community, as a new family, there's this peace that is supposed to rule and guide our hearts. It's supposed to settle there, and we're supposed to operate out of that towards the people around us. If you remember uh, back through the series where we went through the four Gs, uh, like the gospel for real life, we define the gospel as this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is the victorious, rightful, and eternal king. Jesus is the rightful, eternal, victorious like king forever who has brought peace to the world through his incarnation, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. That we can have peace with God and peace with one another. That the shalom of God can come on the earth because of the work that Jesus has done. There's a ton of theology wrapped up in that. Okay, like we're not going to dive into that day. But the concept being that because of Jesus, there is peace. There can be peace on the earth with God and with one another. And that all of us are striving. Deep down, all of us are striving for peace with God. All of us want the world to be put right And we're striving to find it through all these different things. And what Paul tells us is that because of the gospel, we as individuals can have peace with God. That we can have a right relationship with God that is foundational through everything else that we do in our lives. That we do not need to strive and struggle and try to figure out how to get our significance, our approval, our security. We don't need to strive to do any of that because it's all been made right with God. In Him, we have everything that we need. We can have peace, this inner shalom, as it were. We are being put right with God. can settle in, and we can operate out of that. It's a calm mind. It's a, it's, a, it's a heart that is at rest. It's an outlook on the world that we as individuals get to operate with. But then it's not just individual. It's also corporate. It's a communal thing that we are all equally depraved. We are all equally messed up. We are all equally trying to figure out how to put this thing right with God and try to live this thing out. We're all equal, but we all get to actually experience this peace, not because of anything that we have done, that we are all equal at the foot of the cross, that in Jesus, we all have the same peace available to us, the same rightness with the Father available to us that we do not need to struggle and strive against one another, that in God we can be one people at peace with him. And so he's saying as a community, as a family of God, as the new people of God, holy, dearly loved, set apart, like we can actually have peace in our community, that we can have this unity that that comes out of this peace with God. What Paul says to put on is love, right? Right? He says, put on love. And if you read it, it says the, the, the perfect bond of unity. Really, in the Greek, it's the bond of perfect unity. We've talked about this word perfect before, being telos, being like mature and complete. He's saying, put on the bond of mature love. Mature love, I would argue, values something other than itself. Our world talks so much about love, but if you listen, if you pay attention, if you watch the way it's talked about, it's all about what I get out of this. I want love because of what I get. I love this person because of what I get. I love this thing because of what I get. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 put on mature love. 
Mature love actually values other people more than self. That is actually where community can start. That is actually where community uh, can reside is when we are loving others more than ourselves. And then he extrapolates that further to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This word rule there is is the word, um, it's like an umpire in a game calling balls and strikes, calling out of bounds, calling foul, like whatever it is. It's, it's an, it's, he's saying, let peace sort of make the decisions in your heart. Look to peace. Look to the ways of shalom, the way of, of a Jesus peace to be what dictates out of bounds, to be what dictates balls and strikes. Let it, let it rule in your heart and say to you primarily, eh, don't go that way. No, 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 no. Pursue the way of love. It's our conscience. It's the spirit at work in us. He's saying, let that peace well up inside of you and start to cause you to pause a little bit and say, wait, what am I actually after here? Why am I trying to fight this person right now? What am I, what am I, what am I seeking? What am I loving about myself more than I am about them? And, and the Holy Spirit inside of us wells up this peace that says, maybe choose this instead. Maybe you can choose because of the peace that you have with God to actually make peace with this person. Little teaser, in a couple weeks, we're starting a new series about what it looks like to, to, to actually live a life in which love never fails. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the subtitle is loving difficult people. Sub-subtitle is we're all difficult people, okay? So we're going to just look at what it means to have this in our hearts and let it come out of us towards the world around us. So he's saying, let this peace rule in your heart, this peace that you have with God because of what Jesus has done for you. Let it then have the, the, like the run of the house in your life, in the way that you interact with the people around you. Let it be the umpire in your heart towards the world around you. But then he goes on. This, this to me, is like, he says a couple of these things that are just phenomenal. He, he talks about having this, like these gracious words in our mouths. We have this peace in our hearts that's supposed to guide our lives with one another. And he talks about these words that are supposed to come out of our hearts, out of our mouths, towards the people around us in community. These gracious gospel words. At the end of verse 15, he says, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Saying there's this this gratitude, this grace that is supposed to start to well up out of our hearts and out of our mouths to the people around us. Flip over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 4 and 5 is like a longer version of Colossians 3. Very similar wording. Listen, now he talks about the old way and the new way here. Colossians, I mean, uh, Ephesians 5, 15. He says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. Just sit on that verse for a second, Jimmy. Go back to verse 16. Live in a certain way, with wisdom, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Friends, how we live matters. 
The decisions we make matter. Taking off the old, putting on the new matters. Leaving the old way, cleaving to the new way matters because the days are evil. I've talked about it before. We live these soft lives thinking that just like, yeah, everything's fine, like la la la. And it's like, has the last few years proven anything? It's not la la la. It's not. The disruptions in our world, the chaos in our world, the hatred in our world, the pain in our world. Paul's like, man, live with wisdom. The days are evil. I don't say that to be like fearful. I just say to be cognizant, to like wake up, look around and see that there is more going on than just like the softness of an American Christianity. Okay, sidebar item over. Verse 17, he says, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but like, be filled by the Spirit. He's saying, don't be filled by drunkenness, be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music, this is beautiful, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, in the reverence of Christ. He's reiterating this thing again, this this spirit-led gratitude welling up inside of us, expressing truth and mutually submitting to one another. What he's saying is, let the word of God dwell richly among you, right? Right? Let this thing just, let it be that center tree that everything else is coming up around. Let the word of God dwell richly among you. Friends, the word of God is Jesus, the living word. The word of God is the written word, the scriptures. The word of God is is the spirit speaking through one another, the spirit speaking to us through our prayers. He's saying, let the word of God, simply Jesus, dwell richly among you and center around that and allow it to well up in you, expressing gratitude from the heart. Does this sound like our world? Not at all. This gratitude that comes out of our hearts to the world around us. It's this inner peace, right? This inner shalom coming from the presence of the word of Christ in our hearts, then flowing out of us with a heart of gratitude, expressing it to the world around us. And I love this. He says, we're teaching and admonishing one another, singing. Singing. When, when do we get to do that together? Primarily now. <laughs> like primarily on a Sunday morning, right? Now granted, you might be great singers and you might be doing it around your house. Praise God, that's awesome. I'm happy for you to be able to do that. Not so much me. Uh, but, but he's saying, when we are together, we're to be soaking in the word, people of the word, singing to one another, sharing this truth with one another through psalms, through hymns, and through spiritual songs. The psalms. Anyone know what the psalms are? It's a book in the Bible, right? That, that word in Greek, it pretty much means that. It's the Psalms. It's Scripture. He's saying, 
you can sing Scripture to one another. There's value in singing the words of Scripture. I have, a, I have a album that I listen to, a couple albums by a band called Robbie Say, the Robbie Say Band, and they have psalms that they've put to music. And it's beautiful. It helps me memorize Scripture, encourages my heart, I'm soaking in the Word. And so he's saying, listen, sing these things to one another. Remind each other of the truths of Scripture, of the Word of Christ, the Word of God in, in written form. He says, Soak in the word by singing hymns to one another. Hymns are more like um, liturgy, the songs of, the, of church history, right? This, this doctrine that's been there all along since the beginning, singing the Apostles' Creed or, or singing these great hymns of the faith with like their five verses and stanzas and refrains and the doctrine that is in them, right? At the end of of uh, the, the communion supper that Jesus has with his disciples, it says afterwards they sing a hymn as they head towards the Mount of Olives. It's this, this song of the faith, this song of history, and they're saying, sing it. Soak in the word and sing to one another. Or he says, sing in spiritual songs. These, these, this is what it means. This like spirit-led thing that bubbles up inside of us and words just start coming out. Now, in a kind of restrained German culture like Nazareth, we're like, eh, I don't know. But have you ever listened to a worship album? You ever hear somebody spontaneously worship? Where, man, they can't help it. Words are just coming out. Like, just, it's just the Spirit is just doing this thing inside of them, and they can't help but have this gratitude come out of them. Or they're remembering a verse, and it's just, it's coming over them, and, it, and it's, it's coming out. And he's saying, let this thing, this impromptu thing, like this fountain welling up, come out of you when you're singing when you're speaking to one another. As a people soaking in the word, uh, we had this uh, giant tree in our backyard at our old house that was big, it was kind of leaning towards the house, it started to die, and, and we had it cut down. If I had my way, I'd, like, I'd have like no trees in my yard. Um, or live in like a farm where there were just trees everywhere and I didn't care, like one or the other. Anyway, this giant oak tree in our, our backyard or maple, I forget what it was. But I remember these guys came and they, they cut this thing. And when they finally took it down to the stump, when they cut the bottom, water literally started shooting out of the stump. Has anyone ever seen this? They were like, yeah, this happens all the time because there's so much hydraulic pressure, from, uh, hydrostatic pressure from, the, from the, the roots pushing water up, you know, 80 feet up a tree that when you cut it, it was like, whoop, and water was just coming at the top of this thing like, like a fountain, you know, like this high. I was just like, this is insane. They were like, yeah, it happens all the time. I've cut a vine before that did the same thing, this huge vine that hanged from a tree, cut it, and water just started pouring out of it. I had this image in my mind as I'm thinking here is Paul saying, make music with your hearts, literally, literally creating new psalms is what he's saying. That, that when we get cut, when we're going through life and we get opened up, that just the word of God just comes out, right? That it's just flowing out of us. And he's saying, man, soak in the word as a community, as a new family, gather around the word and let it just flow out of you. And he says, all of this, right? This is where that comma matters. I don't know where it falls in that, in that statement. He's saying, all of this is doing it to teach one another, to admonish one another. Admonish means like warn like that lane assist, you know, I'll have now when the car starts to go over the line, it's like, yeah, it's like 
That's what we're doing with one another. When we're soaking in the word and we start to teach one another, we are, we are preaching and telling one another gospel truths. We are warning someone when they're veering away from gospel truth with wisdom and grace, though, friends, seasoned with salt. Not like, you're a sinner. Like, it's like, no, no, no. It's like, hey, don't forget the gospel. Don't forget the word of truth, right? This is the privilege that we have as a community calling one another to this thing. Can I just say, it only happens if you're in community. It's not good to be a singular Christ follower. It's not good to be alone or to wander off on your own. This is when the enemy picks us off. But when we are a people of peace, seasoned by grace, we then can actually speak truth into one another's lives without being jerks. And because we know who we are in Jesus, we can receive it as love and say, all right, yeah, you know what, you're right. Maybe I need to pick something different. Here, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, with gratitude coming up from our hearts, singing psalms and, and hymns and this spirit-led worship and preaching the truth to one another because we need one another. We need one another, man. This is what it means to be a church. This is what it means to be a new family of God. We need each other and the word dwelling richly among us in a, in a world of pessimism. We need the, the gratitude of others, man. We need the gratitude of others to remind us that there is a good God to believe in. When we're struggling, we need other people's optimism. We need other people's faith in God to say, oh, you're right, keep reminding me about that. Man, I needed that this week. I needed that, right? Or we need to hear beautiful truths from other people for it to, to break in and open up our hearts. Friends, this is why we sing, honestly. I believe this is why the heart resonates with singing because our right brains need it. As Americans, we're so linear and logical and we want everything to just be like black and white and like orderly and do, 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 and then you hear a poem and it's like, poof, just blows you up. You hear a song and you're like, I don't even know what those words mean and I'm weeping. Like it's, it's just, right? You see a piece of artwork and you're like, oh, that's do Like literally it's doing something inside of your soul. It's like we need the beauty that we bring as a family of singing together, of doing art together, of reading poetry together, of, of, of spoken word. That, like, we need this thing to open up our hearts to see the beauty of God. And we need to hear these, these truths from one another to confront our idols. We worship all this garbage that takes away life. And Paul's saying, allow other people to teach Allow other people to warn you, to call you back when you're starting to stray out of the lane of the gospel. So let me ask you a question. Do you have healthy rhythms, personally and communally, of letting the word of God dwell richly among you? Do you have healthy rhythms of, of allowing people to speak into your life? Do you have healthy rhythms of, of, of coming to a, a worship gathering on a Sunday morning? Now look, Interesting that this sermon comes up in the midst of a very uh, low-attended Sunday. So please hear me. I am never, we as a church are never going to say, you better be in church every Sunday. I'm never going to do that. Well, first of all, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But we all live nuanced lives. We're loving our families, loving our community means we do other things than just Sunday gathering. And I'm very aware of that. Okay, so please, please understand that like, 
My kids don't come to every Sunday service. I have to, it's my job, right? Like, so like I'm here, okay? But I understand that like we travel. I understand that we do things with our family. We do things with our community. So I'm not saying you better be here or you're bad Christians. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying on the other side of it is live wisely. The days are evil. What personal rhythms and communal rhythms are you building that are actually enabling you to dwell richly in the word, right? Sunday being one of them. Does that make sense? So I, I'm trying to be gentle about this rather than like, I don't, I don't ever want to come off as like browbeating. That's not my point. My point is saying like, what does God want for us? He wants us to have these rhythms of a new family that centers around his word. Are, are you in a community group? And again, some people, they're not right. Fine. I'm just saying that like, I know that like in community, we get to teach and admonish one another and help one another. We get to speak truths into one another's lives. Are you doing life together as a family, allowing people to speak into your life, committed to one another? Soak in that. Think about that this week. So I'll wrap up with this. He says, do all of this in the name of Jesus. He says, do all of this with gratitude in your heart. Do all of this for the glory of God. This peace in our hearts, this gracious words in our mouths, all of it is for the glory of God. We exist to make God famous. Our best lives are found in making much of God, to making Him important in word and in deed, in the way that we act, in the way that we love, in the way that we speak with love. So maybe part of our rhythm as a church family is inviting people into community saying, come, meet this God, know this God. This is all about him. So this is what this means to me. This is like being a Jesus follower is not just about like my personal walk with Jesus. Very important, not the end goal. The end goal is the glory of God through the family of God. It's about his name, not mine. And guess what? When everything's about his name, it makes being a family much easier as opposed to my name, your name. About God's name, it's like, oh, we're all looking at the same goal. It's not about our church name. I want our church to grow. I want us to plant churches all over the Lehigh Valley that like talk about simply Jesus. That's what I want. I want to grow. But like, this isn't about us. It's not about me. I'm not like an influencer, okay, that's going to try to like blow up social media so our church gets famous. Like, I, I just don't care. Like, it's not about that. This is about God. This is about making Jesus famous. Our church is about simply Jesus, not about the pastor, not about the programs, not about the performance, not about the show, clearly. It's not about like just our, our singular take on doctrine. It's not just about our singular way of being holy. It's all about God. It's about making his love known to the world. And it's certainly not about our position on the issues. It's just not. It's about Jesus. Paul says as a family, we do everything for his glory. So next week, we're going to look at what it means. As an all-church gathering, we're going to look at what it means to do all of this, to have one mind. Not all exactly alike, but to have one mind, the mind of Christ, one heart, one spirit, leading us to more and more unity with Jesus at the head of the church. So listen, we commit. We don't have to, but we get to commit to this family, to being together, to these rhythms of being a new family so that we grow in holiness, so we grow in Christ-likeness, so we grow in unity. 
We don't have to. We get to. Why? Because Jesus wants us to have full life. He wants us to be a new family, and he knows that, he, that when we lean into that and we, we like make these rhythms in our lives, we find it in him, in making him known to one another and to the world.